It's funny, I, I got an internship at this popular studio in Detroit, and time I wanted to get into uh, music production. When I started, like, you know, like, working with a few artists there, like, you know, I booked some shows for them, and I would set up music videos for them, and, you know, all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, like, this is more so my speed. Like, I like this, you know, it's behind the scenes. I like the pace of it and, you know, all this other stuff. And the more I got deeper into it, I'm like, it's tough being an artist. <laughs> you can put your everything and then some, it's still no guarantee. And so it's like, you know, you obviously have to, because you're, you're passionate about it. And that's kind of what really got me thinking about it as far as in the role that like you know tech can play with helping artists it's one of the big things especially now that i'm really big on is the whole idea of as far as increasing artists earning power what's up unfound nation dan kihanya here we are back after a couple of weeks off to end the summer thanks so much for checking out another episode of founders unfound that was isaac lyman founder and ceo of racks play which enables music artists to perform live real-time concerts via virtual reality. This VR platform lets fans be front row in the VIP or backstage, all in the comfort of their own home. As the song goes, Isaac was born and raised in South Detroit. At an early stage, he was called to music. It was then that he really came to appreciate the power that technology could have on the industry. And like many famous tech entrepreneurs before him, he made the tough call to pursue his startup dream instead of focusing on college. A hustled for internship, a hackathon, and a call from Google startups followed. And so, Rack's Play was off and running. Isaac has a great story. You'll want to listen in. Our episode is sponsored by Aperture Venture Capital, a seed stage fund reimagining startup investing for the multicultural mainstream. Founding partners William and Garnett recently announced their inaugural $75 million first fund focused on diverse and female founders, but Aperture is double-clicking on changing the VC narrative. They also want to showcase the voices and stories of diverse entrepreneurs. Do you feel like you have a great story to tell? They want to share it at apertureVC.com forward slash founders. Head over to their site or look for a link in the show notes. And please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts, even YouTube. And if you like what you hear, please drop us a five-star review on Apple or podchaser.com. It makes such a difference as we try to grow our podcast. And while you're at it, why not tell a friend about us? Now, on with the episode. Stay safe and hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Founders Unfound, spotlighting the best startups you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented and underestimated backgrounds. This is the latest episode in our continuing series on founders of African descent. I'm your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. Today we have Isaac Lyman, founder and CEO of Racks Play, which enables music artists to perform live real-time concerts via virtual reality. The platform lets fans be front row VIP backstage, all in the comfort of their own homes. Welcome to the show, Isaac. We're super excited to have you on. Thanks for making the time. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Dan. I'm super excited. Awesome. So I gave it a shot, but just in case uh, the listeners didn't quite get it, why don't you tell the listeners what is Rax Play exactly? Yeah, so Rax Play is an immersive music company. We enable music artists to perform live real-time concerts in VR. The pretty cool thing about it is, you know, you're in a virtual environment and, you know, as a fan, you have an avatar. You can be front row, backstage, VIP, whether you're at home or you're with friends or whatever, but it's pretty cool because, you know, we're, what we're building is a world within itself. 
it's so amazing to think about what the future is going to be for things like this. So we'll dig more into what Rack's play is in a little bit, but let's hear first a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Yeah, absolutely. So I am from Detroit, Michigan. I grew up about like 20 minutes south of uh, Detroit. So born and raised there. I recently moved out to LA about six months ago. It's funny, uh, you know, with COVID and everything going on, the day that I uh, went, it was a day that they issued lockdown orders. You're in a new city, <laughs> new place, and nothing is open. So, you know, you spent a lot of time walking around the block and like, oh, that's a CVS. Like, that's cool. You know, so, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, so, so it wasn't a lot of exploring uh, in the first two months. But yeah, born and raised in Detroit. And, you know, with the recent growth and traction with Rats Play, it made sense. Moving out here, being that we are a, we are a tech company, but, you know, we're a, you know, music tech company. So, so it made a lot of sense to be out here, being that a lot of the partners, a lot of our partners, customers, and investors were all out here. So let me ask you, did you grow up downriver? So I actually grew up in Belleville, Michigan, which is not too far from Ann Arbor. And if you're a Michigan fan or you a Velm fan, then you're familiar with Ann Arbor. But I grew up not too far from Ann Arbor. It was a small lake town. Like, whatever you imagine, you know, your small Midwest town to be, that was pretty much Belleville. So, it, it was pretty cool, though. You know, I, I enjoyed my time there. I actually lived in Michigan for several years. I worked for Ford. And so, I lived in Ann Arbor and went to work in Dearborn. So, I'd go by Belleville every day. Well, that's great. So, tell us a little bit more, though. Do you have brothers and sisters? So, I am actually the second child. I have an older sister. I have an older sister, Alexis. She's three years older uh, older than I am. A younger brother who's like 15 months, we're, we're 15 months apart. And then uh, I have a baby sister who's 10 years old. Uh, there's four of us. We're all pretty close. Uh, it's funny, um, the other day my older sister just got engaged and it was, you know, this whole big ordeal because, you know, we come from a really big family. Like on my mother's side, now my mother is a ninth child. So it's a whole army of aunties. And so, 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 so you can only imagine what like the last two days has been since, you know, since they all found out that she, she got an engagement. I was talking to her fiance. I'm like, man, I, I hope you're ready because this whole wedding, man, like. I'm sure they were all like, you know, this is not a drill. This is not a drill. This yeah, is this, yeah. <laughs> Let's go into wedding mode. Uh, yeah. That's funny. So growing up, did you have any, yeah, we always like to explore did you feel like entrepreneurship was something, even if you didn't know what that word was, did entrepreneurship appeal to you? Or what, what did you think that you wanted to do as you were growing up? So that's a really good question. So I like to say I have a non-traditional background, you know, working in tech. But it's funny, it, for me, like going the whole like entrepreneurial route was a no-brainer. My father actually ran a cleaning business, you know, at night, go out and, you know, clean restaurants and all that stuff. and. You know, that was how he was able to put food on the tables. And he instilled in my brother and I like, hey, like if you want something, you're going to have to work for it. So whether that was like a new pair of shoes or, you know, whatever it, whatever it may be, is you know, you have to work for it. So I remember vividly over the summer, my brother and I will always go to work with our dad and uh, traveling across around the state. Once winter hit, my brother and I, we really enjoy winter, the winter time, because it means snow, and snow means snow days, and snow days mean money, because we'll go out and we'll shovel snow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is funny, it is 
that's kind of like where my I guess you could say like where my entrepreneurial drive came from which is super cool and like at the time I was like man I don't want to do this <laughs> you know uh, when you know it's like it's two in the morning you're like scrubbing floors and squeegeeing and mopping and all that other fun stuff but uh, it instilled in me what I needed to do it instilled in me what what was necessary for me to do what I'm doing right now as I got older started looking at different things that I wanted to do and you know, for me, it was a no-brainer because I always loved music and I always loved business. So music business, I would get into the music business. And so, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that. Tell us, like, like, how did music become a passion for you? You know, the young 13, 14-year-old, ah, oh, music's my life, super passionate. You know, that, that, that was me. And it, it was funny. Growing up, I was on the wrestling team, believe it or not. So I, I was on the wrestling team and, you know, that was pretty much what I did, you know, day in and day out. And we had a keyboard. I started messing around with it. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Then I got a guitar. I started playing around with it. A couple of my friends that, that had a bass or a drum set, they would come over and we would just kick it. And I'm like, I want to go into music. And fast forward, like, you know, four or five years later, I'm in school. I'm an adult now. It's funny. I, I got an internship at this popular studio in Choi. And time I wanted to get into uh, music production. And when I started, like, you know, like working with a few artists there, like, you know, I, I, I booked some shows for them and I'll set up music videos for them and, you know, all this other stuff. And I'm like, oh, like, this is more so my speed. Like, I like this, you know, it's behind the scenes. I like the pace of it and, you know, all this other stuff. And the more I got deeper into it, I'm like, it's tough being an artist. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, just, just watching it. I mean, you can put your everything and then some, it's still no guarantee. And so it's like, you know, you obviously have to, because you're, you're passionate about it. And that's kind of what really got me thinking about it as far as in the role that like, you know, tech can play with helping artists. It's one of the big things, especially now that I'm really big on, is the whole idea of as far as increasing artists' earning power. Nowadays, there's a lot of focus on, as an artist, you can make money here, you can make money here, you can make money there, you can also make money, you know, like over there, and which is cool and all, but what's going on with the actual earning power, you know, when it comes down to the revenue per stream, we can break into that or as far as in like, you know, branding dollars or merchandising dollars and, you know, all these other opportunities for artists to monetize, but I think there should be a better focus on actual earning power and increasing that earning power is one of the big things that, that I'm keen on. And I think one of the best ways to do so, which led to the founding of Rack's Place through new technology and new experiences and, you know, things of that nature. And so... Makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm sure that exposure to the industry helped, you know, kind of reveal like, hey, there's, there's some opportunities to do some new things there. I'm curious, though, like, how did you get this internship? I think a lot of people are always curious sort of how, you know, it sounds like it was a very big event, you know, ultimately in your sort of career trajectory and your in the origins of Rack's play. But like, did you apply for it? Were you selected for it? Like, how did it come about that you ended up at this... Uh, Hi, Cache Studio. Yeah, so it's actually funny. I remember a friend uh, telling me about the studio. I'm like, oh man, like this sounds really cool, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and apply. I applied. I, I didn't hear anything back, so I called and 
Uh, this guy there named Lamar, you know, he picked up the phone like, you know, who is this? I'm like, hey, this is, you know, Isaac Lyman. I filled out a application, you know, for the internship and, you know, this, that, and third. And it's like, all right, man, like, you know, forgot the day and the time that they told me to come through for the interview. But I did. And it, it went well. And they initially had you doing grunt work, which was cool. So, I mean, you were cleaning like the first four months. You had to earn your keep. So... <laughs> <laughs> which brought me back to the days when I was, you know, working with our dad or when I was working with my dad and, you know, we were rear cleaning and stuff like that. So it was cool. But eventually they started showing me like the ropes and started meeting like the who's who's and, you know, the Detroit music scene. And I started to pick up. I'm like, oh, so like this is how that works. You know, I'll even, you know, eavesdrop on, you know, some of the conversations I'll be hearing and, you know, all that other stuff. So that's pretty much how I was able to land that. But you're right, though. Like, it really did serve as, yeah, it really did serve as a launch pad as far as where I'm at now and pretty much put me on the path that I'm, you know, currently on right now. I'm hearing definitely this, basically this entrepreneurial hustle. Like, picking up the phone, I'll be honest, I think my kids would be like, oh, well, I didn't get the job or somebody else got the job. I mean, to be proactive and say, let me call and see what's going on and get the job. <laughs> and then to come in and be humble and hungry enough to be, you know, sort of like, okay, I'll just keep doing things, keep trying to take in what I can take in and look for opportunities to do more. To me, those are all part of the startup recipe is to have sort of those hustle genes. Yep. Yeah. Were your parents encouraging about music and or business? Did they want you to like go to school and become a doctor or anything? Or did they say, do what you want? So it's funny, both my parents, they were both like super supportive of me, me doing what I'm doing. And, you know, my pops was like a real old school guy. You know, he refers to me as bullheaded. <laughs> yeah, bullheaded. And so it was just like, ultimately, he's like, he's like, look, yeah, I know you want to do what you want to do <laughs> when it's all said and done. Just, just make sure that like you cover your bases as long as you cover your bases like you're good. And so they knew I was passionate about Rack's play and with what I was doing. And I mean, it's one thing to be passionate and then it's another thing to actually put in the work. So they saw I was putting in the work and I'm like, all right, like you're serious about this. There was a point in time when I was in school and I had a whole like career plan and, you know, all this other stuff. And I dropped out, I'm like, oh, I want to do music, which, which honestly I think is stupid. I, I know it sounds crazy, but not a good idea. Like, I've looked up, you know, don't get me wrong, I've worked hard, but I've definitely looked up as well. I believe everybody's situation is different. And, you know, like when I was looking at the pros and cons at the time, the pros made sense. And like now, the you know, like it's definitely paying off. But one of the things I personally don't buy into is like dropping out of college and thinking like everything is going to be like this rainbows and sunshine. But, but I am thankful for like the path that I am on and and all the stuff that, you know, we are able to accomplish, you know, thus far. That's great. And we're going to hear more about that path for sure. But we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Isaac Lyman from Rack's Play. I love that I'm building something, most importantly, that really matters and that can change the world in a very relevant and necessary way. By being able to run my own business and be able to write my own check. As a lot of Americans would like to be able to do, I want to be able to be a bright, shining example of exactly how to make that happen. Hi, we're William and Garnett, founding partners of Aperture Venture Capital, VC for the multicultural mainstream. Aperture is a $75 million seed stage fund reimagining the startup landscape for diverse and female founders. 
If you're listening to this amazing podcast, you already know diverse and female founders have largely been ignored by the VC industry. Aperture is making it our mission. We want to elevate those voices. So if you're a diverse founder, we want to showcase your story. Come share your voice and your founder's journey at ApertureVC.com forward slash founders. That's A-P-E-R-T-U-R-E-V-C.com forward slash founders. Thank you very much. So we're back with Isaac from Raxplay. So Isaac, I want to delve a little bit before we get into Raxplay. You mentioned this idea of going to school and have a career plan. Like, what was that? And when was the dis- deciding moment when you said, okay, I'm just going to go do Rack's Play instead of that career plan? So uh, I was going to school and getting a degree in finance. You know, I-, I wanted to get into it as far as like the whole like banking world at the time. I feel like it's weird because, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I have a passion for finance. This, then, and third. I'm like, no, I want to make a lot of money, which is funny because you know, I was 19 at the time. I'm 23 now. I'll be 24 this year. But I was thinking, I'm like, I don't feel comfortable with living with the what if hanging over my head. And my rationale at the time, I'm like, hey, the amount of time it's going to take me to like build Rags Play. It's like the same amount of time going to school, working your way up, you know, working your way up at a job. For me, I'm like, it is going to take like the same amount of time. So if I'm a you know, put in the work, put in the work as something that I really do love and enjoy, which was music business, which really got me deep into music tech. Yeah, I'm a keen believer in doing what you're passionate about, even though, like, you know, it's super cliche. I'm a very purpose-oriented person, and, you know, I felt this was more in line with, like, my overall purpose. But that's pretty much how it happened. And, you know, again, my whole rationale was like, well, it's going to probably take the same amount of time. So tell us, when was the moment when you said, okay, I'm going to make this a business and I'm going to go for it? So it's funny. I spent a lot of time tinkering around. Summer 2018 all the way to summer 2019. Summer 2019 is when Raxway was actually founded. Or I got into an accelerator specifically for college-age students at the time. And the accelerator focused on the whole lean startup model. So... The accelerator was specifically for the customer discovery process, interviewing potential customers or your ideal customer and finding out, are you even solving a real problem before you establish your value proposition? And when I got into that accelerator, that's actually when I met my co-founder, Carlos, Carlos Shields Davis. At the time, you know, I was tinkering around with like a music streaming, music networking, music community. <laughs> idea, which I'm happy it didn't go through looking back because it wouldn't lead to where we're at right now. And Carlos was focusing on this whole like VR social app. And like instantly, like Carlos and I, we just clicked because we're very, like we're two different people. And so it's funny because like Carlos is like very like stoic and you know, all this other stuff. And I'm in a jag like, hey, how you doing? And you know, personality wise, we just click like work styles, like we just click. And when he and I got together, we're like, okay, like it's time for us to like really double down because we got something here. That's so important. I mean, when you find a, you know, a partner, I mean, startups can be, it's kind of a team sport, right? And having somebody who's like, oh yeah, I get it too. And we can make this big can definitely be energizing and catalyzing to taking that big step. Yeah. I actually remember the day that was June 2nd of uh, 2019. 
and it was funny shout out to Tectile Detroit because Tectile Detroit are the ones behind that accelerator program and I like to consider Tectile like as our home base because they gave us space to work and you know, all this other stuff and there's a lot to, there's a lot of mentor and advisors that we still work with to this day over there at Techtown, but Carlos and I, we, we pretty much was hammering it out every day there over there at Techtown, and we had just get on a whiteboard. There, there's a lot of room for opportunity when it comes to music and VR. You know, live concerts is just, you know, one segment of that. And so pretty much we were hammering out as far as, you know, what Rack's play would be. A few weeks later, uh, uh, there was this hackathon uh, sponsored by Bose and Capitol Records, which is really cool. Carlos and I were like, oh, this is perfect because, you know, being a VR music tech company, I mean, they were doing AR, but like, hey, like, you know, immersive technology music, like, hey, we need to check this out. And we went ahead and did so. And that was probably the most stressful, uh, <laughs> we still joke about it to this day, but that was probably the most stressful 48 hours of our lives that particular weekend. Through that whole process, we actually ended up meeting our CTO, Norvell, Norvell Robinson. He ended up joining our team after the hackathon because we ended up placing in third place. But it's funny because we didn't really have the best hardware. Mind you, we're about like 80, 90% done with the build. You know, somebody walks over and the laptop gets unplugged and the laptop completely restarts. I mean, like clean slate. Now we got to start over. It was terrible. <laughs> when one of the guys, you know, walked around and he's like, what have you guys been doing all this time? You guys are supposed to be prepared. And probably put it bluntly, he, he was pretty rude. And it's funny because uh, like there, there's still teams to this day or people from teams to this day like, hey, man, how are you talking to you guys? Like, that wasn't right because like we were the... We were like the only group of young black dudes there. So, you know... Just the way he was talking to us, we were like, yo, like, this isn't cool. And I remember that experience, you know, because, you know, I, I was trying to be a good sport, so I took it on the chin. And it's funny because, you know, like, Carlos, like, I, like, I'm just watching Carlos. Carlos, like, she's not talking to me. Hey, Carlos is going about his business. <laughs> Which is funny. I don't know, I'm keen on treating people with respect. So it's like, well, you guys just belittling people or... I don't think that's cool. There's always a better way to communicate or solve problems. But ultimately, we end up working through it and... Which I mean by that, like, we spent that entire night working until like three in the morning and getting the project back together. And then that morning, that Sunday morning, we uh, got back together and we ended up taking third place. And then we continued working with the Bose AR team for like about six months on some like prototyping stuff and things of that nature. Before that six months, that accelerated program ended up finishing and we ended up winning a 15K grant. We did a pitch competition. So we ended up placing in first place, 15K grant. And then came along the whole like G-Beta music tech accelerator backed by Capital Records, which the whole Capital and both thing was in partnership with the G-Beta music tech accelerator. The whole purpose of that hackathon was pretty much to like identify teams that they can get in their accelerator. And so a few months later, we, you know, we continued working with both on the AR project. And then, you know, we also started working with Capital, did a few live activations, tightened up our business model. We really got an inside look on it as far as in, like how the industry really works and the nuts and bolts. And So that's a great story. That's a great arc. And I, I hear a lot of building conscientiously and trying to ensure, you know, that like you said, the discoveries there, the product, the tech, it's all aligning and creating momentum as a team, which is an awesome 
awesome story. But tell us a little more detail about how Raxplay works. Like, what does it actually do? And give us a kind of a use case of how it would be uh, out there in the world. Yes, yeah, so I love it. Okay, so pretty much if you are a person who owns a VR headset, pretty much you go on like the iClose platform, you go on Raxplay platform, you see as far as what available shows is out there, you are made aware of a show like ahead of time. So really what it looks like, oh, like this artist is performing at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Let me put on this headset, watch this show. On the artist side, which is really cool, like we're working through all the tech right now, but on the artist side, you know, there's competitors in this space that's also operating, but one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is that, one, we are operating in real time and we're operating real time on a VR headset. So the artist uh, has a full-on motion capturing suit where you capture the movements, facial expressions, lip readings, hand tracking, the whole nine yards and pretty much we, we, we track all of that and so all that information goes to the artist's avatar or the, the mocap system is right to the artist's avatar and as artists are singing and dancing the fans pretty much are just watching that happen in real time and so one of the things that I personally think is like really cool about this is the whole idea that when you're in the environment you know you can be 2,500 miles away from, you know, one of your best friends. And here you guys are in your avatars right next to each other. You can take a photo in VR and then like post it online like, hey, I'm at so-and-so concert. And I think that idea is like just crazy. We, we live in a world already where, you know, we, we exist on the internet, but I think that just kind of takes it to a new level. And so from the user standpoint, you know, as we mentioned, there's actually like a VIP like area where you can get into. There's also a backstage area that we're currently working through where you can actually meet the artists. And I think it's like really cool when you go and take a photo with a, you know, 30 foot, you know, whoever the artist may be. And it's like, hey, like, this is me and so-and-so. Like, see, like, check it out. <laughs> you know, I think that whole idea is cool. One of the big things that we're really doubling down on you know, the idea of, you know, virtual goods and, you know, the value that virtual goods pretty much like, you know, there can be value for virtual goods in the virtual world. But really, we want people to realize these values of virtual goods in the real world. And that that's one of the things that we're really working through. So that's pretty much how Play works, where you put on on the headset, you watch the show live, you can meet up with friends. Uh, there's, little acti- there's little activities you can do before the show. There's activities you can do after the show. We're working on archiving all our shows. So after the fact, you can always go back to this particular concert. And you know, there's some things that we're looking to do on that particular front. That's pretty much the Rackspoint concert experience. You put on the headset and, you know, you, you watch your favorite artists perform live. And the business model is basically parallels the the in-person experience, right? With tickets and merchandise and experiences that are for sale, so to speak. And, you know, long-term, we pretty much see, you know, virtual concerts, you know, being our bookstore, you know, where, you know, Amazon, they, they started out with books and then eventually they moved on to as far as in areas that, that kind of complemented what they are already doing. And long-term, we're looking to do something similar. The world is opening back up. We hear it all the time. Oh, so, you know, the road's opening back up. Like, what does this mean for Rats Play? And, you know, our seat route would be closed out if I had a dollar for 
how many times I've heard that. But it's funny when we look at our market positioning, we don't really see ourselves competing with, uh, you know, in-person concerts. If you look at the overall experience that we're looking to deliver. But I say that to say is, you know, concerts is simply our first step, but really the long-term play is where Rexplay is a platform that just holds pretty much, you know, artist experiences. So rather that is concerts, NFTs, particular like plot points, you know, within their career, like you go into a specific artist gallery and you can find it all there. And that's ultimately the long-term play of Rexplay. That uh, makes sense. And uh, it's a great vision. And I think you're right, right? I think sometimes people just have this knee jerk before COVID or when COVID was happening, like all these things are going to disappear. So if you have a company in travel or events, you're dead, right? And then post COVID, people are saying, well, if you were in the vi- virtual and digital world, yeah. that's all going to go away. And it, neither is true, right? I mean, we're living in a hybrid world. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be opportunities for all that. So that's great. Well, we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back with Isaac Lyman from Play. I love that I'm building something, most importantly, that really matters and that can change the world in a very relevant and necessary way. By being able to run my own business and be able to write my own check, as a lot of Americans would like to be able to do, I want to be able to be a bright, shining example of exactly how to make that happen. Hi, we're William and Garnett founding partners of Aperture Venture Capital, VC for the multicultural mainstream. Aperture is a $75 million seed stage fund reimagining the startup landscape for diverse and female founders. If you're listening to this amazing podcast, you already know diverse and female founders have largely been ignored by the VC industry. Aperture is making it our mission. We want to elevate those voices. So if you're a diverse founder, we want to showcase your story. Come share your voice and your founder's journey at apertureVC.com forward slash founders. That's A-P-E-R-T-U-R-E-V-C.com forward slash founders. Thank you very much. Okay, so we're back with Isaac Lyman from Play. So Isaac, tell me, what's the big hurdle for a business like this? Is it getting the artists? Is it getting the fans? Is it the technology? What has been sort of the biggest challenge, if, if you can say that one is bigger than others, but what's been some of the biggest challenges for this so far? Yes, I think what's the biggest challenge here is, I think as far as all of the hurdles, all the little hurdles are interlinked with each other. So you can't really have one without the other. And so navigating that is a challenge in itself. And I think that's the biggest challenge. So far, we're, we're doing pretty good in regards to like navigating that. Like to give you, you know, an example, VR hit like mainstream roughly around 2015. And there's a lot of VCs that got burned initially when, you know, VR companies first got into the scene. Right. And so, you know, we fast forward now, you know, five, six, you know, years later. The market looks a lot different than what it did back then. So I, I think that within itself is, is a challenge. It can be a challenge at times, but, you know, I'm more so along the philosophy of like, if you're not a believer, I'm not really in the business of converting you. Either you're a believer or you're not. So uh, I'll leave you where you're at and in time. You'll come around, but I, I'm going to go where the believers are. And so I, so that would that within itself is not a major challenge, but. Getting artists is not really as hard as people may think. It's a pretty interesting process, I will say that. I think the biggest challenge is as far as all these particular hurdles are all interlinked to each other. So navigating it can be hurdles. Interesting. And I'm curious your thoughts since you're deep in this industry. If you had to guess, you know, are we two or three years, five years, 10 years? How far away are we from VR without a headset? 
Yeah, we, we definitely got some time. <laughs> it's hard to be hard without a head. If we're looking at it at least, you know, late 2020s, early 2030s. Because, I mean, I mean, if we look at as far as, like, VR headsets, I mean, you know, a lot of companies are still working through as far as in how to make the headsets comfortable and, you know, figuring out as far as how you can get more bandwidth, you know, out of these headsets and, you know, making them smaller and, you know, things of that nature. And so a lot of companies are still working through those particular sets of problems. So, I mean, we got a nice eight or nine years for that to come into fruition. But in the meantime... You know, what we're going to really start seeing is that VR and AR technologies is really going to become like a lot more comfortable. So if you look at the Quest 2, the Quest 2 is like the best selling headset right now in the market. If I remember correctly, it's like a little over 3 million units that's circulating, circulating in the market right now. And uh, it launched in October of 2020, which is not bad. So we are seeing these updates happen in real time and the progress, you know, being made. Yeah, that's helpful. And, you know, I think about my journey around mobile and there was this gradual adoption, right? And then the iPhone came out and it kind of, you know, took another leap. So VR is still in that early stage. Yeah, it's actually crazy uh, that you brought that up. I remember reading, this was like early on, like when we first started Rackplay, but I was reading this analyst and it, it did a comparison to mobile devices and VR devices. One of the crazy things for me is like, you know, you definitely do still have your naysayers about VR. And again, I'm not really in the business of converting non-believers into believers. But if you look at the hard numbers year over year, it tells a very clear story as far as what is happening here in the market. Regardless as far as what I believe, regardless of what you may believe, these numbers tell a very clear story that VR is not only a growing market, it's growing sustainable and you know, this is a market where you need to pay attention to because it is here to stay and I think what we're seeing right now, we're seeing all these bits and pieces like, you know, popping up and within the next few years, they're really going to start coming all together. But, you know, like again, uh, the hard numbers paint a very clear story in regards to as far as in the growth of, uh, you know, VR hardware and overall the adoption of, you know, VR technology. And I mean this specifically in regards to just even outside of, you know, use cases outside of gaming. But I think one of the big initiatives, or one of the big pushes as far as the core VR is where, you know, you're building use cases outside of gaming, you know, to go ahead and, you know, you know, reach, you know, mass adoption and, you know, yeah, you know, go ahead and, you know, reach mass adoption. And that makes sense. Wow. You really know this business. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to hear a little bit about Google and how all that came together. It's pretty crazy because <laughs> I didn't see it coming. Uh, they emailed me like a week before we, we actually sat down and... They reached out to you. Yeah, saying like, hey, like you made it to the final round for this grant. And I remember getting the email. I'm like, no, I don't remember doing an application, but I'm going to take this phone call. So, 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 had you actually done an application? No, I, like I was confused. So, like I'm like, hey, I didn't do an application, but I made it to the final round. So I'm gonna take the call at least to just see what they're talking about. And you know, they were asking me questions, uh, you know, about Rags play and what were our next steps and what we use the funds for. And they say, like, hey, we already made our decision. Like, here's fifty thousand dollars. I'm like, oh wow. So it really caught me off guard because I was not expecting that. So wait a minute, Isaac. A bunch of people are gonna listen to this and say, 
It's like you found a wallet in the street full of money. Like you just got lucky in this app. There's got to be some connections, like somebody nominated you or the, or Jewel was your neighbor or something. Or like, there's got to be some story behind the story. It's funny. I, I'm pretty sure somebody nominated us. I mean, somebody had to nominate us. And it, I'm pretty sure it had to be somebody at Tech Town or or another organization that Rax Play is affiliated with. I, I wish I actually knew who nominated us because I, I wanted to thank you. Unfortunately, I don't know, but I'm sure I'll find out. And so it was a surprise. Uh, it, it was a good surprise, you know. Yeah, it was a good surprise. And one of the reasons being, you know, being a young black team from Detroit, <laughs> non-traditional backgrounds, you know, it's a different ballgame uh, that you're playing when it comes to the whole fundraising process. So... You know, with Google stepping in, it was pretty much the money's one thing, but really, really what it did was it pretty much validated that, hey, these guys are legit. What they're building on is legit. Like, this is something that you need to pay attention to. And then it really opened up doors for us to, you know, hit some of the goals that we've been looking to hit within the last six months. So, you know, the funding announcement and the fund itself, you know, really enabled us to do so. And it's something that I'm super, super, super like thankful for. If I'm being honest, I, I do feel as if there's like a lot of lip service when it comes down to, oh, we want to help black founders. You know, what percent of venture capital goes to well black founders? We need to do something about it. Let's do something about it. And then like nothing is done. And so, so, so it's really cool to see like Jewel and like Joey and like Goody Nation and Google like, you know, really step in and we won't step in. We won't actually make something happen. And so. Uh, it, it is very much appreciated. And I think even now, like, we're, we're starting to see, like, you know, more black, you know, emerging managers, you know, starting to come up and we're starting to see different funds. Maybe it's my lack of experience, but as far as I'm concerned, I, I know the whole venture industry is built on the idea of as far as, in, you know, outlier results. And I mean, the whole method behind it is, you know, pattern matching. And if we're really trying to get into, nitty-gritty of it is pretty much like hey we're homeboys so i'm a funnier company and we're gonna see what's going to happen and, and you know I, I just don't i just don't see that being a good method and so which i'm sure we could like dive into that but you know that's just my two cents so how do you think about fundraising like in terms of timing in terms of what kind of investors you're looking for like you said you moved to la which makes a lot of sense that's entertainment you know sort of mecca and some of the venture folks or investors are affiliated in those spaces but how do you think about fundraising kind of philosophically i guess so there's definitely a few thoughts that i have so like again someone like myself that kind of comes from like a non-traditional background i realized really this whole idea of storytelling and you need a strong narrative this that and the third and you know, that's nice to have, but like we have to show, or I, I think a team like ours, we have to show, we can actually execute on a product and get features out there. We can actually get really good people on our team. I mean, really good people on our team. Hey, we can, you know, we can get, you know, LOIs from, you know, this company, you know, that company. And, you know, we really have to like double down on that. And so, which is cool and all, because I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, like it is about can this company generate an outsized return for my fund? I mean, that is a ball game at the end of the day. But to be honest, I really do feel as if it's a lot of, you know, or the whole idea of like it's a dark art. 
there's a like a lot of that when it comes to like just fundraising and stuff like that. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, the best founders, you know, they, they don't need a pitch deck to raise funds. I sit on that statement and I'm like, huh, it must be nice. <laughs> so, and here's the thing, like, I'm not one to complain. Like, I always been one, like, hey, like, I'm always going to get in on my own and I'm going to do what I have to do to get from point A to point B. So, like, I'm, I'm not really complaining. I mean, you get it how you live. But on the flip side, I'll be lying if there wasn't this sentiment where I'm like, I believe, like, the same metric should be applied all around, you know? If I'll give you, like, like a brutally honest example, you know, I remember, like, in 2019, we were looking to raise, and we spent a lot of time trying, you know, trying to raise for funds. We spent a lot of time trying to raise for funds, and pretty much it was like, hey, you guys are too early, come back to us, even though we had, like, you know, like, labels in the decks, like, hey, like, we're looking to shift our whole marketing budget to, like, this specific area, you know, all this other stuff, and, you know, here we are two years later, you know, you have, like, funds that look you dead in your eye, and, Hey, it's been like two years. Like, why you don't have a product? Because we've been told we were too early for the last two years. And then, you, you know, come back and look through your eye until you're too early. It's like, I don't sit too well with you. But that's another conversation for another moment in time. But I don't know. I, I do believe there's a lot of good in the venture industry. I do believe there's a lot of good people working in the venture industry. And I believe there's a lot of good change happening in the venture industry, which we're all seeing right now, right now in real time. The whole idea of signaling, you know, I think that's just crap. Either, you know, you're building a really good company and there's a really good team behind it. All that other stuff is... Keeping it real. I like it. So one of the questions we'd like to ask is, you know, sort of the go back in time. And let's say the version of Isaac that was kind of maybe before your internship. So you're like just before you're like trying to enter into this world and eventually become an entrepreneur, if this Isaac could go back and talk to that Isaac, what advice would you give him? What to look out for, what to do, what not to do? Oh, I think first and foremost, you know, I was just like, hey, man, like stay the course. Just like whatever you do, stay the course, <laughs> you know, like hold the line, <laughs> you know. But um, funny, before I met Carlos, I actually did try like the whole music tech idea with another team and I actually learned a lot, you know, in full transparency, just through that whole experience. Hey, like, you know, when you build a team, that these are the things that you want to look for. You want to build a team with people that, you know, that complement your skill set. I've always been like keen on the whole like ideas as far as where you double down on, you know, something and, you know, and you bring other specialists. I think it's relevant to like an early team because, I know, like, there's people that's like, oh, everybody should be, like, a generalist, but, you know, to each his own. I really drive in that whole point. Keep your head low and just keep doing what you're doing. Like, I'm, I'm pretty keen on that, like, just staying under the radar, which is funny because, like, now this day and you're, like, it is funny because everybody's like, oh, like, the best founders build an audience on Twitter and, you know. Yeah, the social media, right? Yeah, there's a pressure to, to have, like you said, like, to kind of like, do your day-to-day -day out loud on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, I'm like, if you know me in real life, then you, then you know there's things going on. So it's like, <laughs> that's always been my philosophy. But I would tell myself, yeah, like, just, just stick to that and just stay the course and stay humble, stay hungry, stay focused. I, I definitely bumped my head a few times. So I definitely like, hey, when you get on, you know, this corner right here, slow down, check and approach it like this, you know. So hopefully he'll listen. I think he would. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say, isn't it? Although if you came and talked to me, I would be listening because you've done some things. So tell us, like, how 
on Foundation, our audience, how can we give us a call to action? How can we be helpful to you or to Rackplay? So we are within the next 90 days, our first VR concert will be going live, which is pretty, pretty exciting. A lot of hard work to get here. We've, we've done like a lot of the building already. Now it's just more so artist side and, you know, other stuff. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, you can follow myself on Twitter at Isaac Lyman. It's just Isaac Lyman. Pretty <laughs> straightforward. That's I-S-A-A-C-L-Y-M-O-N. Then most importantly, follow Raxplay on Twitter as well for any and all updates. And that is Raxplay XR. And then just be on the lookout for Raxplay. Our whole mission uh, is cliche because I feel as if it's cliche, right? Because like a lot of companies, our mission is to, you know, change the world and this, that, and third. And, you know, and it's not really changing the world. But our mission, Raxplay mission is ultimately to empower the digital artist and you know, at the core of that, like we believe in a higher level of creativity, you know, and so we think immersive technology is really going to open up the door of a new way to tell stories, a new way to share art, a new way to experience art. And we actually want to provide the tools, we actually want to be the platform for this higher level of creativity, and, which I think would be a really, really cool conversation. It could get pretty left field, like when we really start diving into as far as some of these ideas, but I mean, there's just some really sick VR artists out there. That's Yeah, just be on the lookout for Rack's play. I love it. And I can't believe we're already at the end of our time. This has been so awesome, Isaac. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. This, this was like super, super cool. Super excited that you had the chance to do this. Yeah, this is pretty cool. So I really did enjoy myself. Good, good. Well, that's what we aim to do, right? This is a conversation and you know, it allows you to showcase all the greatness. So thank you again. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We'd like to thank our guest, Isaac Lyman, and our sponsor, Aperture Venture Capital. This podcast was produced by yours truly, Dan Kihanya. Additional audio editing and production by We Edit Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, or simply go to foundersunfound.com forward slash listen to, that's listen to, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, at Founders Unfound. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am Dan Kihanya, and you've been listening to Founders Unfound.